Chapter Fourteen of John Halifax Gentleman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. John Halifax Gentleman by Dinah Crack. Chapter Fourteen. I am quite certain, Mrs. Todd, that it would be much better for her, and if she consents, it shall be so," said John decisively. We three were consulting the morning after the death on a plan which he and I had already settled between ourselves, namely, that we should leave our portion of the cottage entirely at Miss March's disposal, while we inhabited hers, save that locked and silent chamber wherein there was no complaining, no suffering now. Either John's decision or Mrs. Todd's reasoning was successful. We received a message to the effect that Miss March would not refuse our kindness. So we vacated, and all that long Sunday we sat in the parlour lately our neighbours, heard the rain come down and the church bells ring the wind blowing autumn gales and shaking all the windows even that of the room overhead it sounded awful there we were very glad our poor young orphan was away on the monday morning we heard going upstairs the heavy footsteps that every one at some time or other has shuddered at then the hammering mrs todd came in and told us that no one even his daughter could be allowed to look at what had been poor mr march any more all with him was ended the funeral is to be soon I wonder what she will do then, poor thing. John made no answer. Is she left well provided for, do you think? It is impossible to say. His answers were terse and brief enough, but I could not help talking about the poor young creature, and wondering if she had any relative or friend to come to her in this sad time. She said, do you remember when she was crying, that she had not a friend in the wide world? And this fact, which she expressed with a sort of triumph, seemed to afford the greatest possible comfort to John but all our speculations were set at the rest by a request brought this moment by mrs todd that mr halifax would go with her to speak to miss march i only i said john starting only you sir she wants somebody to speak about the funeral and i said there be mr halifax miss march the kindest gentleman and she said if it wouldn't trouble him to come tell her i am coming when after some time he returned he was very serious wait a minute phineas and you shall hear i feel confused rather it is so strange her trusting me thus i wish i could help her more then he told me all that had passed how he and mrs todd had conjointly arranged a hasty funeral how brave and composed she had been that poor child all alone has she indeed no one to help her no one she might send for mr briswood but he was not friendly with her father she said she had rather asked this kindness of me because her father had liked me and saw the resembled the walter who died poor mr march perhaps he is with walter now but john can you do all that is necessary for her you are very young she does not seem to feel that she treats me as if i were a man of forty do i look so old and grave phineas sometimes and about the funeral it will be very simple she is determined to go herself she wishes to have no one besides mr todd you and me where is he to be buried in the little churchyard close by which you and i have looked at many a time ah phineas we did not think how soon we should be laying our dead there not our dead thank god but the next minute i understood our dead the involuntary admission of that soul feeling which makes one ere while a stranger say to or think of another all thine are mine and mine are thine henceforward and for ever i watched john as he stood by the fire his thoughtful brow and firm set lips contradicting the usefulness of his looks few as were his years he had learned much in them he was at heart a man ready and able to design and carry out a man's work in the world and in his old aspect was such grave purity such honest truth that no wonder young as they both were and as little as she knew him 
this poor orphan should not have feared to trust him entirely there is nothing that binds heart to heart of lovers or friends so quickly and so safely as to trust and be trusted in time of trouble did she tell you any more john anything of her circumstances no but from something mrs todd let fall i fear and he vainly tried to disguise his extreme satisfaction that she will be left with little or nothing poor miss march why call her poor she is not a woman to be pitied but to be honoured you would have thought so had you seen her this morning so gentle so wise so brave phineas and i could see his lips tremble that was the kind of woman solomon meant when he said her price was above rubies i think so too i doubt not that when she marries ursula march will be a crown to her husband my words or the half-sided accompanied them i could not help it seemed to startle john but he made no remark nor did he recur to the subject again that day two days after our little company followed the coffin out of the woodbine porch where we at last said good-bye to poor mr march across the few yards of common to the churchyard scarcely larger than a cottage garden were at long intervals the few elderly dead were laid a small procession the daughter first supported by good mrs todd then john halifax and i so we buried him the stranger who at this time and henceforth seemed even as john had expressed it our dead our own we followed the orphan home she had walked firmly and stood by the graveside motionless her hood drawn over her face but when we came back to the rose cottage door she gave a quick startled glance up at the familiar window we saw mrs todd take her unresisting into her motherly arms then we knew how it would be come away said john in a smothered voice and we came away all that day we sat in our parlour mr march's parlour that had been where though no longer darkened casement the unwanted sun put in we tried to settle to our ordinary ways and feel as if this were like all other days our old sunshiny days at enderley but it would not do some imperceptible but great change had taken place it seemed a year since that sunday afternoon when we were drinking tea so merrily under the apple tree in the field we heard no more from miss march that day the next we received a message of thanks for our kindness she had given way at last mrs todd said and kept her chamber not seriously ill but in spirit thoroughly broken down for three days more when i went to meet john returning from norton bury i could see that his first glance as he rode up between the chestnut trees was to the window of the room that had been mine i always told him without his asking whatever mrs todd had told me about her state he used to listen generally in silence and then speaking of something else he hardly ever mentioned miss march's name on the fourth morning i happened to ask him if he had told my father what had occurred here no i looked surprised did you wish me to tell him i will if you like phineas oh no he takes little interest in strangers soon after as he lingered about the parlour john said probably i may be late to-night after business hour i want to have a little talk with your father he stood irresolutely by the fire i knew by his countenance that there was something on his mind david eh lad will you not tell me first what you want to say to my father i can't stay now to-night perhaps but what is there to be told nothing anything that concerns you can never be to me quite nothing i know that he said affectionately and went out of the room when he came in he looked much more cheerful stood switching his riding-whip after the old habit and called upon me to admire his favourite brown mare i do and her master likewise john when you are on horseback you look like a young knight of the middle ages maybe some of the old norman blood was in guy halifax gentleman it was a dangerous illusion he changed colour so rapidly and violently that i saw that it angered him no that would not matter cannot cannot never shall i am what god made me and what with his blessing i will make myself 
he said no more and very soon afterwards he rode away but not before as every day i had noticed that wistful wandering glance up at the darkened window of the room where sad and alone save for kindly mrs todd the young orphan lay in the evening just before bedtime he said to me with a rather sad smile phineas you wanted to know what it was that i wished to speak about to your father ay do tell me it is hardly worth telling only to ask him how he set up in business for himself he was i believe a little older than i am now just twenty-one and i shall be twenty-one next june are you thinking of setting up for yourself a likely matter and he laughed rather bitterly i thought when every trade requires capital and the only trade i thoroughly understand a very large one no no phineas you will not see me setting up a rival ten yard next year my capital is nil except youth health courage honour honesty and a few other such trifles none of which i can coin into money however and your father has expressly told me that without money a tenor can do nothing unless as was his own case he was taken into some partnership where his services were so valuable as to be received instead of capital true my father earned little at first scarcely more than you earn now but he managed to live respectable and in course of time to marry i avoided looking at john as i said the last word he made no answer but in a little time he came and leaned over my chair phineas you are a wise counsellor a brother born for adversity i've been vexing myself a good deal about my future but now i will take heart perhaps some day neither you nor any one else will be ashamed of me no one could even now seeing as you really are as john halifax not as the tenor's prentice boy oh lad there the goat sticks here i forget everything unpleasant i am my own free natural self but the minute i get back to nortonbury however it is a wrong a wicked feeling it must be kept down let us talk of something else of miss march she has been greatly better all day she no not her to-night he said hurriedly pa i could almost fancy the odour of these hides on my hands still give me a candle he went upstairs and only came down a few minutes before bedtime next morning was sunday after the bells had done ringing we saw a black-veiled figure pass our window poor girl going to church alone we followed taking care that she should not see us either during the service or afterwards we did not see anything more of her that day on monday a message came saying that miss march would be glad to speak to both of us of course we went she was sitting quite alone in our old parlour very grave and pale but perfectly composed a little more womanly looking in the dignity of her great grief which girl as she was and young men as we were seemed to be to her shield transcending all worldly properties as she rose we shook hands in a silence only broken by the rustle of her black dress not one of us thought surely the most evil-minded gossip could not have dared to think that there was anything strange in her receiving us here we began to talk of common things not dancing she seemed to have fought through the worst of her trouble and to have put it back into those deep quiet chambers where all griefs go never forgotten never removed but sealed up in silence as it should be perhaps too for let us not exact more from nature than nature grants the wide wide difference in character temperament and sympathies between miss march and her father unconsciously made his loss a hard loss total and irremediable that one of mere habit and instinctive feeling which the first shock over must insensibly heal besides she was young young in life in hope in body in soul and youth though it grieves passionately cannot ever grieve i saw and rejoiced to see that miss march was in some degree herself again at least so much of her old self as was right natural and good for her to be she and john conversed a good deal her manner to him was easy and natural as to a friend who deserved and possessed her warm gratitude his was more constraining gradually however this wore away there was something in her which piercing all disguises 
went at once to the heart of things she seemed to hold in her hand the touchstone of truth he asked no i believe i asked her how long she intended staying at enderley i can hardly tell once i understood that my cousin richard Priswood, was left my guardian this was my father this was to have been altered i believe i wish it had been you know norton bury mr halifax i live there indeed with some surprise then you are probably acquainted with my cousin and his wife no but i have seen them john gave these answers without lifting his eyes will you tell me candidly for i know nothing of her and it is rather important that i should learn what sort of person is lady caroline this frank question put directly and guarded by the battery of those innocent girlish eyes was a very hard question to be answered for norton bury said many ill-natured things of our young squire's wife whom he married in naples from the house of the well-known lady hamilton she was you are aware lady caroline ravenel the earl luxmore's daughter yes yes but that does not signify i know nothing of lord luxmore i want to know what she is herself john hesitated and answered as he could with truth she is said to be very charitable to the poor pleasant and kind-hearted but if i may venture to hint as much not exactly the friend whom i think miss march would choose or to whom she would like to be indebted for anything but courtesy that was not my meaning i need not be indebted to any one only if she were a good woman lady caroline would have been a great comfort and a useful adviser to one who is scarcely eighteen and i believe an heiress an heiress the colour flashed in a torrent over john's whole face then left him pale ay pardon me i thought it was otherwise allow me to to express my pleasure it does not add to mine she said half sighing jane cardigan always told me riches brought many cares poor jane i wish i could go back to her but that is impossible a silence he intervened which it was necessary someone should break so much good can be done with a large fortune i said yes i know not if mine is very large indeed i never understood money matters but have merely believed what what i was told however be my fortune much or little i will try to use it well i am sure you will john said nothing but his eyes sad indeed yet lit with a proud tenderness rested upon her as she spoke soon after he rose up to take leave do not go yet i want to ask about norton bury i had no idea you lived there and mr fletcher too i replied in the affirmative in what part of town on the coltham road near the abbey ah those abbey chimes how i used to listen to them night after night when the pain kept me awake what pain asked john suddenly alive to any suffering of hers miss march smiled almost like her old smile oh i had nearly forgotten it though it was very bad at the time only that i cut my wrist rather dangerously on a bread knife in a struggle with my nurse when was that eagerly inquired john for me i said nothing already guessed all alas the tide of fate was running strong against my poor david what could i do but stand aside and watch when was it let me see five six years ago but indeed it is nothing not exactly nothing do tell me and john stood listening for her words counting them even as one could count drop by drop a vial of joy which is nearly empty yet time's remorseless hand still keeps on pouring pouring well if you must know it it was one of my naughtinesses i was very naughty as a child they would not let me have a piece of bread that i wanted to give away to a poor lad who stood opposite under an alley in the rain was it not so how could you know but he looked so hungry i was so sorry for him were you in a tone almost inaudible i have often thought of him since when i chanced to look at this mark let me look at it may i taking her hand he softly put back the sleeve discovering just above the wrist a deep discoloured seam he gazed at it his features all quivering then without a word 
either of adieu or apology he quitted the room End of chapter fourteen recording by Ellie, january two thousand and ten